You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. All right, good morning, New City. My name is Caleb. Um, It's my pleasure this morning to bring you the word. Thanks so much to Nick for, again, giving me the opportunity to do this. I am super excited uh, to preach on this topic this morning. It's uh, dear to my heart. Uh, I could talk for hours, days about the... uh, the glory, the reliability, the, the power of God's word, and so uh, it's my pleasure to, to preach on that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. What characteristics should mark a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to actually walk with Jesus? That's a question that we started uh, asking and answering last week. And we're gonna continue to address that question the next couple weeks. When we use the word disciple, what we mean is follower, learner, um, pupil, right? Someone who walks in the steps of Jesus. This is important because being a disciple of Jesus is not just a matter of checking things off a list, right? I read my Bible, I prayed, I went to church, I shared Christ with somebody a month ago, right? I'm a disciple. Discipleship is a process, but it's not mechanical, it's not automatic, and it's definitely not easy. Being a disciple of Jesus is to walk with him daily in a personal relationship. It's to commune with, to converse with, and to share life with a person in the Holy Spirit. And walking with Jesus will oftentimes mean walking the way of suffering, hardship, persecution, right? If you wanna know what walking with Jesus will look like, look at the life of Jesus, right? Persecution, hardship, suffering, Last week, Ben started the series by preaching on how disciples are called to be reproducible, right? How, disciple, how being a disciple means you are a discipler, right? Think about the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Ben did a great job. If you missed his message, definitely go back and, and, and listen to that online. Today, we're looking at another characteristic of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus is scriptural. What do I mean by that? A disciple of Jesus builds his life on the truth of the Bible. A disciple of Jesus opens the Bible, he reads the Bible, teaches the Bible, and obeys the Bible. So here's my main point this morning. I like to give it up front, as clear as I can. A disciple of Jesus holds firmly to the word of God no matter what. A disciple of Jesus holds firmly to the word of God no matter what. If you would, stand with me as we read in 2 Timothy. Our our main passage this morning is gonna be verses 14 through 17, but I wanna read the whole chapter, okay? It's it's important to get this context. Verse one, chapter three says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, that's Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here's our text. Text. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, give light to our eyes this morning. I pray that New City Church, that this message would ignite in us a passion for your word, that we would be readers and doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Before we dig into our verses 14 through 17, just real quick, verses one through nine that we just read, Paul begins this chapter by warning Timothy that difficult times are headed his way. What makes the times difficult is the rampant sin and immoral behavior of the culture all around him. Does that sound familiar? This is not a new thing. This has been the case since, since the fall. Look at the descriptions of their behavior. These people are, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and on and on and on it goes. But look especially, let's focus in on verse seven. These people are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Doesn't that sound like our day? We live in a culture that supposedly prizes knowledge and learning and science, right? How much have we heard about following the science over the last couple years? 
But at the same time, our culture is flooded with moral relativism that says there can be no absolute morality, no absolute truth, no governing authority over my life or society as a whole. Our world loves to appear knowledgeable and scientific, but it hates to acknowledge any transcendent truth other than there is no absolute truth. And what are the effects of this on a society? It's the very things that Paul mentions in those verses. Lovers of self, lovers of money, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. If there is no absolute truth, there is no governing morality, then every man does what is right in his own eyes. But then, in verse 10, Paul says he expects something different from Timothy. See, Timothy has followed Paul's teaching and life, and now Paul is writing this letter to Timothy as an old man. He's nearing the end of his life, and he wants Timothy to continue in the things he has seen and heard from him. And what does he point to? What are the things that Timothy has heard and seen from him? He primarily wants Timothy to hold fast, to hold firmly to the word of God. That's what verse 14 says. That's where I get my main point. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. But how do you do it? If we're gonna be disciples this morning, if we're gonna be disciples of Jesus who hold firmly to the word of God, I think there's five things that we can do to hold firmly. Uh, 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 Paul gives them to us here. Number one, Paul says, hold firmly to the things you have learned and believed. First, knowing from whom you have learned them. Remember who taught you the scriptures. Paul wants Timothy to remember those who taught him the word of God. And what's really cool about this is we actually know who these people were. You see, back in chapter one of this book, this is what Paul writes. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So here we see the natural progression of family discipleship, right? From Timothy's grandmother to Timothy's mother on down to Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to remember the lives of those who taught him the scriptures. Remember those saints. Remember those women, those giants who came before you. The book of Hebrews tells us to consider the outcome of the way of their life and to imitate their faith. We should do the same, friends. Who are your spiritual mothers and fathers in the faith? Remember them this morning. If we want to hold fast to God's word, remember those who taught you the faith. For me, first and foremost, it's my parents. I'm blessed to have been raised in a, by two Christian parents who instilled in me Christ-like principles from an early age. I was that kid that, that uh, Nick just mentioned. I was literally born in a church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, my entire life, my entire childhood, till I was 17. 
My parents were not perfect, but it was clear that their desire for me was to live a life dedicated to following Jesus. They laid a solid foundation that would later be built upon. The pastor of our church when I was growing up, uh, his name was Mike Cooper. He was extremely formative for me. He's a pastor in Wyoming now. The pastor of my church in college, Phil Nelson, extremely formative for me. My campus minister in college, Dominic Menard, my friend Chase Abner, my friend Kyle McKay. These are all men who took time to invest in me. I consider them disciplers of me. I've learned from them. I've observed the Lord's work in their life. I'm so thankful for these men. When I remember them in their way of life, I am motivated to continue pursuing Jesus because I've seen their faithfulness and the effect of their faith in their lives. The conversations I've had, the things I've learned from them have stuck with me for decades. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, that's most likely because somebody shared the gospel with you or discipled you in some way. Remember that person's life. When things get hard through suffering or hardship or maybe you're tempted, as I have been at times, to throw in the towel, to walk away from the faith and say, man, it's just so much easier to just go along with the culture. Remember the faith of those who brought you the word, those who discipled you. But what did Timothy actually learn? Here, Paul gets more specific about the content of the teaching Timothy received. You see, his grandmother and mother didn't just teach him to be a good little boy. They didn't teach him, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with girls who do, right? (laughs) There's There's a lot more to it than that. No, Paul encourages Timothy to continue in what you have learned. And what has he learned? He tells us, the sacred writings. And we have to ask the question, what are these sacred writings? It was the Old Testament. That's what Paul is referring to here. That was the Bible that existed at that time, right? Because remember, Paul is writing this letter. The New Testament is being written at this time, still being collected. It's probably not gonna be gathered into an actual book form until maybe 100 years from now. So when he talks about the sacred writings, he's talking about the Old Testament. Timothy's grandmother and mother were faithful Bible teachers. They made sure Timothy was acquainted with the holy books of their faith. Paul calls on Timothy to remember them, remember their lives, remember what they taught you, hold on to these sacred writings. But what else can we do to hold firmly to the word of God? Number two, rejoice in the gospel in all the scriptures. Rejoice in the gospel in all the scriptures. Look in verse 15. It says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is my longest point today. Here, Paul reminds Timothy to hold firmly to the sacred writings because they're able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Is that confusing to you? Because it kind of is to me. Because remember, what were these sacred writings? It's the Old Testament, right? 
So what Paul is saying here is that being acquainted with what we call the Old Testament, what they called scripture, that is able to make Timothy wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How does that work? Is that how you think of the Old Testament? Have you ever read the Old Testament? (laughs) I mean, it's okay if you haven't, you should, but is that how we think of the Old Testament? That it teaches us about Jesus? I mean, you know, you know some of the things that are in the Old Testament, right? You got Adam and Eve, the Tower of Babel, the story of Noah and the flood, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, who has or Jacob with the twelve sons, and then Joseph rescuing his brothers. They become the twelve tribes of Israel. Moses and the ten plagues of Egypt, the, the giving of the law, the ten commandments. Israel wandering in the desert, worshiping in the tabernacle, entering the promised land, conquering their enemies. God raising up judges, then King David and King Solomon, and then there's the united kingdom of Israel, and then the divided kingdom of Israel with Israel in the north, Judah in the south, the building of the temple, then eventually king after king after wicked king after wicked king, and the prophets preach and nobody listens, and there's just this wickedness that permeates the northern and the southern kingdom until eventually, 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in and they captured the northern kingdom and they take them into, into Assyria as, as captives. In 586 BC, the Babylonians come into the southern kingdom and they take them captive. And then eventually some people come back and they rebuild the temple. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then Jesus. That's a snapshot of the Old Testament, right? Woo! Now, <laughs> but wise for salvation through faith in Jesus? How does Paul get there? Isn't that all just stories, right? We learn about when we're kids. Is the Old Testament really that necessary now that Jesus has come and we have the New Testament? Well, let me ask you this. It's another kind of question here. When you read the Psalms, I I hope that you have read some of the Psalms. Has it ever struck you as odd how the psalmists talk about the law of God? It has me. We think about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law. What's the law of the Lord there? The first five books, the Pentateuch, the Ten Commandments. Do you delight in that? Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Does the law of the Lord revive your soul? What about Psalm 119? Have you ever read Psalm 119? 176 verses, every single one of them praising and extolling and magnifying the beauty and the power and reliability of God's word. It's an amazing psalm. Here's just a taste. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation 
all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Friends, these things were written hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus. Is this how we view the sacred writings? You see, the Old Testament makes up about 77% of the Bible. 77%. If we neglect three quarters of the Bible, we are neglecting the sacred writings that make us wise for salvation. Do you want to walk faithfully with Jesus? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Then dig into all the scriptures, all of it. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the main character. The gospel is proclaimed in this book from cover to cover. We have to have eyes to see it. In Genesis, after sin entered the world, God made a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That seed was Jesus. In Exodus, God sent his judgment on the land of Egypt by killing the firstborn child of every family. But those who marked their door with the blood of the lamb were passed over by God's judgment. Jesus is that new Passover lamb. In Leviticus, God instituted the Day of Atonement where the high priest would enter the tabernacle into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice a, a lamb for the sin of the people. Eventually, Jesus would be that atoning sacrifice. He fulfills the Day of Atonement from Leviticus. In Numbers, the people wander through the desert for 40 years in rebellion because of their sin and God shepherds them. He keeps his covenant with them and brings them to the promised land. Jesus is the good shepherd, church, in the New Testament. And in Deuteronomy, God reinstitutes the law that he gave them at Sinai. And when Moses is about to die, God promises to send them another prophet like Moses, and they will listen to his word. What is Jesus called in John 1? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is that new prophet. Church, we could go on and on through every book and every story. and We see the gospel everywhere from cover to cover. Read the Old Testament. Pour over it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Teach it to your kids. Read it over and over because every book, every page magnifies the glory of God in the mercy of God. David saw it when he wrote the Psalms. Jesus saw it, and Paul saw it. I want to see it. I want to be wise for salvation in all the scriptures. Let the Old Testament enrich your understanding of the new. It will make us wise for salvation. Number three, how else do we hold firmly to the word of God? We recognize the voice of God in the scriptures. Look in verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. 
Paul wants Timothy to know the nature of the scriptures themselves. Paul says they've been breathed out by God. Some translations might say God breathed. This is one of the most important statements in the whole Bible about the nature of the Bible. This book is wholly different than any other book on the face of the earth. This is what Paul believed about the Old Testament. This is what the apostles believed about the Old Testament. And later, as the New Testament was being written and gathered, it was also recognized by the church as Scripture. What did Jesus himself say in Matthew 5? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. He didn't come to get rid of it. I I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Jesus also says in the Gospel of John that scripture cannot be broken. He's clearly affirming the absolute truthfulness and reliability and special nature of the sacred writings. You see, when God speaks, when God breathes something out, he never misspeaks. When God speaks, there's no such thing as misinformation. He always says exactly what he wants to say. And what we hold in our hand, church, right here, is an accurate and reliable record of what God has said. Now, I understand there are lots of questions about that that exist, right? Some of you might be thinking, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about how did, how did we know that what we have is reliable? I've got some books over there at my seat I'll be happy to to recommend to you. Probably won't loan them to you because I typically don't get them back. But I will point you to some, there are tons of resources that answer all of these questions. We can rest assured that what we have is an accurate and reliable record of what God has given to his people. You see, these scriptures of the Old and New Testaments have been given to us by what's called divine inspiration. They are the very words of God. Second Peter says this, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As you read the scriptures, do you recognize them as the very voice of God? Or are you simply checking something off a list? New City, we can never forget that every time we open this book, we are hearing God's voice. And with the word of God comes the authority of God. That brings us to our next point. The fourth thing that we can do to hold fast to the word of God is realign our lives according to the scriptures. Realign our lives according to the scriptures. Look in verse 16 again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. You see, the Bible works like a mirror. When we open it, we come face to face with the holiness of God and the reality of our own sin and failure. As we stare at the mirror of God's word, our own flaws become more noticeable and more disgusting, but the beauty and grace of God also becomes more appealing 
and slowly and steadily we begin to transform more and more into the image in front of us. You become what you behold, friends. That's an important principle for all of life. Whatever you look at, whatever you spend time gazing at, you're gonna become that. Let's spend time gazing into the mirror of God's word. But this doesn't happen overnight, does not happen apart from our own efforts. So here, Paul says, the scriptures are profitable for four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Teaching, this is why we have preachers. This is why we preach on Sundays, right? This is why Christians over the centuries have started hundreds of schools. This is why we take the transfer of knowledge so seriously as followers of Jesus. Yes, discipleship is more than just acquiring knowledge but it's definitely not less. We all need to be taught the scriptures. I'll be honest with you, I never read the, the whole Bible through until I was in college. And I'm telling you, the first time I did, it was amazing. So I just remember thinking, hearing all these stories growing up, you know, I went to church every Sunday, but I, if you would have asked me to find a story about Jesus, I don't know, healing a blind man, I could have looked in Exodus. I'm telling you, I did not know. I grew up in church my entire life, and until I was in high school, I did not know the difference between the Old and the New Testaments. We need to be taught, friends. Teaching is a gift to the church. But what about reproof? What is reproof? Reproof literally means to blame or to express disapproval. It's what the prophet Nathan did to King David after David stole Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah murdered. The prophet goes to David, he tells him this story, right, about a guy in their, in their, a citizen in their country who stole another guy's lamb and David says, we're gonna, go we're gonna go find that guy, we're gonna punish him and David says, you, you are the man. That's reproof, blaming, expressing disapproval. When we look into the mirror of God's word, we are blamed, right? We see, oh, I'm the man. I'm the guilty one. I have sinned. That's called reproof. We need that, friends. That's a gift to us. Number three, correction. Scripture doesn't just reprove and say you're guilty. It says, don't do this, do that. Don't be this way. Turn to Jesus. You shall have no other gods before me. That's reproof. But you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's correction. Don't go this way. Go here. This is the gospel, friends. Yes, we are guilty. Yes. We are stained, we are messed up, broken people, then we will face God's judgment. That is all true, terrifyingly true. Don't go that way, turn to Jesus. That's correction. 
forth training in righteousness. This word literally means to instruct or to nurture, right? So, so once you receive that correction and you're on the right path, training in righteousness keeps you there. We're called to cultivate that, to grow in holiness, to be sanctified, to become more and more like Jesus. So you see in these four things, there's a process, right? We're taught the foundational truths and, and as that happens, we're reproved. We begin to see how our lives don't measure up. Then we're corrected. We begin to understand more about how to live lives that are pleasing to God. And then God's word continues to nurture that new life in us and that new desire for righteousness and holy living. Does this sound like hard work? It should. Every Christian disciple is meant to encounter scripture this way. We're all meant to be taught, to be reproved, to be corrected and trained in righteousness. They don't happen automatically. It takes intentional effort on our part. A disciple of Jesus dedicates his life to bringing his will into submission to the holy word of God. So that's fourth. Number five, the end goal of discipleship, restoration to the image of Christ through the scriptures. We see in verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As we go through this process of teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, what's the end goal? What is the end goal of discipleship? Christ-likeness. Colossians 1 says it this way, we proclaim Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity in Christ, complete, equipped for every good work. These are all different ways of describing the goal of discipleship, which is Christ-likeness. Friends, let me ask you, where are you in this journey of discipleship? If you're here today and you have not placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, that's the first step of discipleship. I encourage you today, turn from sin and trust in Jesus. As, we, as I've said earlier, Every one of us has turned from God. We have all gone our own way. We are all sinners who stand under the wrath of God and we will face his judgment. But God has made a way out for us because of the coming of Jesus who came to this earth 2,000 years ago. We read about it right here in the New Testament. He came and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, which you and I cannot do. He fulfilled all righteousness. He was brutally murdered on a cross. And when he died, he actually bore the sin of his people on that cross. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead and then ascended to the Father and he now sits as king of the entire universe. All authority in heaven and on earth belong to him. And the call for each of us today is to turn from our sin and trust in his atoning sacrifice. And when you do that, you are corrected. You are put on the path of discipleship. 
we would love for you to join with us here at New City on that path and walk with us in the ways of Jesus. So how do we hold firmly to God's word? A disciple of Jesus holds firmly to the word of God no matter what. Number one, remember who taught you the scriptures. Number two, rejoice in the gospel in all the scriptures. Number three, recognize the voice of God in the scriptures. Number four, realign your life according to the scriptures. And number five, be restored to the image of Christ through the scriptures. New City, what are you giving your life to today? What has the ultimate authority in your life? Where do you find your hope, your joy, your comfort? Where do you go to commune with your heavenly Father? Is it the sacred writings that have been passed down for centuries from those who who first taught you? Or are you just trying to live life like everyone else with a little Bible sprinkled in? Our hope is that New City would be a church full of disciples who are committed to the scriptures, who walk daily with Jesus as we open the word together, we sing the word together, we preach the word to one another, and we submit ourselves under the word of God. A disciple of Jesus holds firmly to God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you for this book, for these 66 books. I pray that the Bible would not be some, I pray that it would not be a decoration in our homes, that we would not lay it open on our dresser for others to see. But Father, we would open it and we would stare at it, and we would read it. We would study it, we would memorize it, we would meditate upon it, we would teach it to our children, and we would obey it. Father, we are, may we be people of the book. Forgive us for neglecting your word. May we hold it up, may we treat it with the reverence that it is due, and may we go to it daily as we walk with Jesus as disciples, Father, make us pure. Make us more like Jesus and as we pursue maturity in Christ together. In Jesus' name, amen.